Hey, go ahead and be seated. Welcome, everybody, to Marine Covenant Church. My name is Ben Kearns. Thanks, Gail. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, it is a, definitely a joy to be with you. What a, gosh, what a great morning so far. Well, there's two kinds of people in the world, like all things, um, right? There's the people who, uh, their life is an adventure. You know, these guys, they, they wander the streets, they, they, they look at the poppies and the beautiful flowers, and they run into strangers, and they, like, have time to hear their stories, and it's like, oh, it's incredible. And then there's people like me who the destination is the number one priority, right? There's somewhere to be, and I'm driven to be there and to be there five minutes early if I can help it. And where this lives itself out the worst in my life is when I travel. I don't know if there's any of you who travel like this, but I have somewhere to be. And I, um, I, I want to be a good parent. I'm teaching resilience to my kids. And I've been known to leave my kids on the curb as I have my bag heading off to security and they're like trying to figure out how to carry their duffel bags and Kay's like trying to make sure they're all taken care of and have all their stuff. And I'm like in security. I am like leaving them behind. It's how you raise kids to be responsible young people. And um, I mean, I've even been known to like, if sometimes on a reservation, I have TSA, but my wife doesn't. Or I'm like, I'm sorry, I'll meet you on the other side and I'll get us coffees and I'll be all ready. So I... I am a destination person. And that's what I'm traveling with my family, my favorite people in the whole world. Well, this fall, I, uh, I got a chance to fly down to Los Angeles and I officiated a wedding for an old youth group kid. And so if that's how I'm with my family, imagine by myself in a car going to the airport. Like I am like driven. I know exactly where I'm going. I have my favorite place I park when I go to the park and fly. I go, I get through security. I get to the airport. I get to the rental car and all the while I have my earbuds in because I don't want anyone to talk to me and I'm driven. I'm going to this place and I'm driving. And, uh, and one of my things when I do, I get, I drive, I, I, I will take 10 minutes to make sure my phone is synced. You know, you want to make sure your phone is synced so you can listen to music. So I take 10 minutes there, get my phone synced. I, uh, I go to Spotify, Country Drive. I know like Jeff hates country music. I'm a country music guy. It relaxes me. I hit on Country Drive and I'm driving on Spotify going to um, this wedding. I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm like, music is just happening and I'm not really paying attention. And, um, and just like the way that God does this, in my drivenness, in my desire to get somewhere on time, to be tunnel visioned in all things, I get off the freeway and I start heading down these surface streets and this song comes on the radio. Um, well, the, the song comes on the radio called Somebody's Daughter. And what's interesting is I'm driving, right? There's all these homeless people, it's LA, and I see them passing and this song gradually starts filling the car. Listen. Gosh, isn't that a beautiful song? And, um, and as, as someone who's mildly hard-hearted and who's driven and was tunnel vision, it was incredible how, how music, right, how, how poetry, how the arts just kind of begin to soften, begin to change your perspective. And as I'm driving down the surface street, um, I start realizing, I'm like, oh my goodness, there are like, there are, there are homeless people everywhere. Every stop sign had somebody holding a sign. And as I'm listening to this song, I'm like, just felt this wave of convic conviction, and not like in a mean way, but like in an invitation way, like, these are all real-life people, real-life sons, real-life daughters that, gosh, for the last 20 minutes, I had never even knew existed. And for this time, you know, started to see them and realized, oh, I'm traveling, so I got cash. And by the time I get to the place I'm going, I'm out of cash, giving away 20s. Like, I'm like, gosh, what are you doing to me, God? Well, I think it's so incredible, this idea that we are all somebody's daughter, and there's something about the way that God made us. God fundamentally made us to have dignity and to have worth. And even if you're 
having a hard day, even if you're struggling in your life, you know at the core of your being that you deserve dignity, you deserve to be seen, you deserve to be cared for, and yet it's so easy to overlook one another. And I love this idea because if we are all somebody's daughter, if the whole message of the gospel is that Jesus came to seek and to find, it doesn't matter how lost you've been, right, that Jesus is going to continue to run after. And as we're in this series called Songs in the Key of Life, I love how music, right, it taps into these core longings. And the core longing I want to talk about is this idea that we have this desire to be truly seen. And what's so funny, it doesn't matter if we have unlimited resources, um, all, we have a nice house, nice clothes, nice food, whatever, but it, it, it doesn't matter unless someone actually sees you, like looks in you and connects with you. And Jesus, I mean, that was his ministry. The whole story of Christianity is that we are not this like a blob of humanity, but that we are these individual people made in the image of God, longed to be brought back home. Not just be your parent's daughter or your parent's son, but to be the king of kings, to be his son, to be his daughter. So this morning we're going to take a look at Psalm 113. And um, this was an ancient poem. And what's so incredible is the way that this poem expresses the character of God, um, the position of God, and what God longs for us. Psalm 113 says this, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And right out of the gate, the psalmist makes it very clear. Listen, I know in, in Marin in 2020, we think, no, God is this like kind um, grandpa who gives us hard candy and just wants to pat us on our head. But that's not the picture of God in Scripture. The picture that we have of God in Scripture is this almighty God who is full of authority and power. And right, right out of the gate, the psalmist, even if you read the psalms, the psalms were like the, the psalmist is complaining and life is so hard and he's like whining, whining, whining. He still begins and ends the psalm with recognizing that the character of God, who God is separate from you, separate from me, separate from our circumstance, God deserves honor and worship and praise. He goes on and says, The Lord is exalted over all the nations, the glory above the heavens. For who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? So this idea that God, not only just in his being, he is this character who is worthy of worship, he set himself up, right? He's the king. He's a king enthroned on high. And if you're a servant to the king, then our posture, right, is one of obedience. Our job is to obey God. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we want. God is all-knowing, all all-holy, all-powerful in his very character. He deserves to be worshipped because of his position as king. He deserves to be obeyed. But what kind of king is this God who deserves to be worshipped and obeyed? He says, So who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with princes, with the princes of his people. He finishes with praise the Lord. I love this picture. Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. I mean, God is this almighty God. He does not need you. He does not need me. And yet he created humans out of love, out of this desire to complete creation, to share the joys of creation with, to be in relationship with. And I love it because there's there's this idea that God is so distant, so above, so outside of who we are. And yet this picture that God stoops down. 
He stoops down to look on us. He doesn't just stoop down, but he also wants to stoop down and rescue the poor from the ash heap and sit them with princes. This is God's longing and desire. So we see in the psalm, right, that God is holy and righteous. He deserves worship. He is the king enthroned on high. He deserves us to obey him. And in this passage reveals that his heart is for his people. To see us individually, he considers us. He considers the poor and longs to lift them out of the ash heap. And Jesus comes as God in the person to fulfill God's heart, right? Jesus, what God, Jesus did was to show up and reveal that this distant God is not distant at all, but yet he longs to be with us, to walk with us, to see us. Jesus modeled in his ministry day in and day out this idea of seeing people, of caring for them, of seeing the poor and longing to lift, lift them up out of the ash heap. And our job as Christians if you've been a Christian for a day or forever, your job is then to put on the mantle of Christ, to be the actions of Christ, to then be Christ in the world, seeing people and caring for people. And so I love that picture, right? That God is this incredible God who sees you. He longs for you to be adopted into his family. And if you're a Christian, he longs for you to take on the mantle of Christ and to run after it. Well, as I've gotten a little older and over the years, I realized God's finally like softening my heart. And he said, okay, Ben, it's time for you to grow in this compassion. Like I genuinely want to love people. I mean, I do love people. My face doesn't say it very well. And my heart is like the Grinch. It's like three sizes too small. And so I'm like, okay, God, please, you have to grow my heart, shape my heart. I want to grow in compassion. I want to be able to not just drive down the street and see people and go, oh, God bless you. Oh, too bad for you. Oh, God bless you, right? I want to be able to have compassion. I want to actually see people. I want my heart to be broken for people. I want to recognize that not everybody has my story, but we all have these complex stories that we bring to the table and that God sees and wants his people to be a part of. I'm so, so honored to be a part of a denomination and to be a part of a church that does this in spades. And there are a million opportunities for us as pastors and leaders and for you as congregants to jump in and to be a part of all these things that God is doing. And a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to be a part of an incredible ministry of our denomination. Our, um, our denomination seminary, North Park Theological Seminary, decided to start teaching classes to the inmates at Statesville Penitentiary in Chicago. And uh, the, this woman, Michelle Clifton Soderstrom, decided to leverage her place at the seminary to go into the prison and not just go, oh, the, there's prisoners, or let's have compassion on the prisoners, but to actually see these men and to care for them and to recognize their life is not over and to redeem their situation and to have them grow. And they're actually doing theological study and I was a part of this team of people. And so we actually got to go into the prison and participate in this class. And it was mind-blowing because I have really great theology. I have a really strong understanding of politics and policy. And I know exactly what should happen uh, to the incarcerated and ways to solve all the problems. <laughs> right? But it's a totally different ballgame to sit in a class with real-life men, real-life young men, Real-life old men who'd been there for 45 years, back when they were stupid and 18, did an awful thing. And were just these kind old men. And people of God decided to not give up on them, to see them as human beings and begin to invest in them. Right? And slowly but surely, God is growing my heart. And so like an idiot, I'm like, God, I'm ready for you to grow my heart. I'm ready for you to give me the compassionate heart that you long for me to be. And you need to be careful what you ask for, right? This is like, there's like two prayers you don't pray. One, three prayers. Make God, make me more humble. That's a big no-no. 
God, make me more dependent on you. That's a big no-no. And, uh, and those ones I learned early on, you don't pray. But this one, I thought this was a great one. God, make me more compassionate. Make me more kind. Because I long to be a noble Christian man. I long to be a man who works hard, who leverages all of my gifts, all of my resources for the kingdom of God. And as I've been wrestling with Jesus, he, I was studying scripture and God brought the scripture to me. And all of a sudden, God just knocked me on my butt because instead of longing to be a noble man, leveraging my gifts for the kingdom of God, God was like, let me tell you something. So I'm going to share with you something really briefly about what God did for me. And maybe it might apply to you, my fellow Marinites. Just maybe. I read in Luke chapter 19 the story of Zacchaeus. If you've been around the church, you know there's a little fat guy and uh, he's a tax collector and Jesus is on the way. He's a traveler too. He's on Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. He is on a man on a mission and he's on going to Jerusalem to go and die. Like he has got a lot going on, way more than I ever had. And yet Jesus stops. He sees Zacchaeus. He calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, come down for I'm coming to your house today, right? And this is what was so brutal. I realized in my mind, I think, oh, I'm like a Pharisee. I don't want to be like a Pharisee. I don't want to be a religious person. I want to be someone who loves Jesus. Or, or maybe I'm like, you know, those other people that Jesus ministered to, like, I don't have leprosy, but maybe I have like spiritual leprosy and God loves me, you know. But what if I'm a tax collector? Because you see, the tax collectors are kind of like who we are in Marin right? They were the wealthy people in the Roman Empire. Now, they didn't fit in with the Romans because they were Jewish people. And so that yet they longed to have wealth, they longed to have status. And so they understood they would never fully fit in. So they didn't fully embrace all their wealth, but that was their class, that was their culture. And they longed to, to, be, to fit in, but they never did. And yet they were Jewish people. So they, they were kind of associated with, these, uh, with the Jewish people, but yet they were poor, and if you've ever been around poor religious fanatics, you're like, those guys are weird. Praise the Lord this, praise the Lord that. I'm going to pray for this, I'm going to pray for that. You're like, just, just get a job, right? This is my jerkiness that I think. I'm just putting it out there. And so the tax collector is like, oh my goodness, what, are, what if we are those tax collectors? What if in our class, in our classes, and we go, oh, those poor religious people, God bless them. Maybe I'll give some to the, something to them. Maybe I'll share for them. I'm sophisticated. I'm noble. God's using my gifts and my abilities for the kingdom, right? That's how, well, I posture myself. But I've been around Marin long enough that maybe we do that. And maybe we are the tax collectors. And in our attempt and effort, to, we've like made all these accommodations to both worlds. We've touched the religious people just enough to kind of get what's going on there. And we've touched the wealthy world just enough to know what's going on there. And we found this middle ground and there's no joy in this middle ground. Here's a brutal verse for me, maybe for you, but mostly for me. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom of God, the kingdom he promised those who love him? Has not God chosen the poor in the eyes of the world? You see, the poor get it. The poor get what it's like to be in love with God. They know what it's like to be dependent on God. And if that's true, if the poor are wealthy in their spirit, then maybe it, the inverse might be true. Maybe those of us who have resources and who are noble and work hard, maybe we are poor in spirit. Zacchaeus knew he was poor in spirit. 
and Jesus saw him. And what's so incredible, not just does Jesus see the blind man and the beggar and the leper and the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery, not only does he see the poor and the marginalized and oppressed, which praise God he does, but he also sees you and me, the tax collector. He sees Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm coming to your house today. He says, today salvation has come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham. He remembered he is somebody's son somebody's daughter. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And so we have to be careful what we wish wish for. And it is a really brutal challenge to recognize that maybe we aren't as noble as we think we are. We aren't God's favorite kid who is just like, oh, if Marin Covenant just gets their act together, think of all the things I can do for the kingdom of God. I mean, that's what he's saying, but I don't think he means it the same way we think it. I think he's thinking we need to recognize that we are poor. We are spiritually poor. It's interesting. When I talk with my friends in other parts of the country, when I go and get to travel and visit my Christian friends in other parts of the, of the world, they're like, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm like, no, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you have nice water. I'm going to pray that you can pay your electric bill. I'm going to pr- pray that, you know, that there's less unrest in the government. You know, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to pray for you. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're fine. I'm praying for you. I mean, you in Marin, yes, there's no humidity, but you guys have like overwhelming amounts of loneliness, anxiety, depression. You're so spun up about so many things and you're missing God. And I'm going to pray for you. Oh, it is a brutal, brutal reality to get that maybe we are missing it a little bit. And in our desire to be seen, we're not, we are not being patient and waiting for God to see us. We skip over the being seen. We forget our own brokenness and our own poverty and we go straight to God, use me and my incredible gifts and my incredible strength and all the things I bring to the table. And God's like, I don't need any of that. I need you in your broken state, in your broken spirit to be dependent on me. Because when we are seen by God in all of our grossness, in all of our hypocrisy, in all the ways we just... Lord, the tax collectors, when we are seen, then we get to take on the mantle of Christ and we can recognize our core calling, which our core calling is to see other people. You see, we are the body of Christ. We are God's hands and feet here on earth. Everything that Jesus did in scriptures, he longs to continue to do, but he longs to continue to do it through you and through me. We have to be the people who are able to see the way that Jesus sees, to get over our own ego, our own pride, and listen and care for other people's stories. And so not only do I want to grow in compassion, I feel like God's slowly but surely asking me to grow in empathy. And empathy is a whole different ballgame. Empathy is actually being able to sit down and share the experience of somebody else. But because I'm a Marin tax collector, strong, moderately wealthy, educated, hardworking per- person, I just think I immediately go to, no, let me help you, as opposed to let me be with you. And one of the very first ways that we begin to have empathy is we begin to, um, we begin to project, right? We took some high school kids to Guatemala a few years ago. And I, I love this story because I get watching high school kids. I feel like, oh, I can just be, if I'm just one step ahead of them, I feel like I'm doing okay. 
But often I'm, I'm just revealing myself in them. But we're on this bus, and when there's this high school girl from Marin sitting down with this high school girl in Guatemala, and we're on this bus together, and we have this translator, and they're chit-chatting back and forth. And uh, the, 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 the young woman from Guatemala is like, my, my, my two older sisters had to drop out of school in seventh grade to go work the farms, because that's how we make our money. But thankfully, they've, because they've all worked, I now get to stay in school. And this high school girl in classic Marin, this is our reputation all over the world, unfortunately, she's like, she's so lucky. She's so lucky that she doesn't have to go to school and just gets to be with her family and work because you don't understand how hard high school is for us. I mean, we have Snapchat and people bully us and, they, and we have anxiety and, and we have to worry about college and paying $50,000 for our tuition. I mean, it is, and can you imagine not having any of that stress? You are so lucky. And I'm watching the mer- this translator go, mm, how do I say that, you know? But the truth is, if it wasn't her, that would be me all the time. I listen, I want to have empathy, I want to have compassion. I hear these people's stories and I'm like, I'm going to immediately fix that or here's the good spin or you're so lucky. And what a totally different thing as opposed to going, oh my goodness, right? I have poverty and you have poverty. I have wealth and you have wealth. And if we can enter into every conversation with anybody, rich or poor, marginalized, top of the food chain, whoever you are, right? And we can go, I have poverty. I'm a broken, lost person that God has radically saved. It looks different than you, but this is, God has met me in this poverty. And God's given me gifts and, and resources, and I have certain wealth and certain things, and I want to leverage that for the kingdom. But if we just leverage our wealth and never our poverty, then we are just patronizing people, missing out on the kingdom of God, because God does not need our strength or our resources. God needs our hearts, Right? And so this idea that if we want to be seen and God actually wants to use us, Marin Covenant Church, us, the C with a capital C, if God longs to do that, then we have to be people who are willing to go where Jesus goes. I love that we're doing this trip in Mexico. I love that we're partnering with a church in Richmond. I mean, like we are going to be compelled to not just go and be Marin people, to do Marin things, but we are going to be like, get to be with our friends who are first and second generation immigrants. And what a different way to view a service trip through first and second generation immigrants. We're going to be compelled to grow in empathy. And unless we are people, right, who are willing to own our poverty and leverage our wealth and see other people's poverty and meet them there and recognize their wealth and be blessed by it, we are going to miss out on all that God has for us. So I love this picture, this picture in Psalm 113, right, that Praise the Lord. God is king over all things. He's king over creation and he deserves worship. He's the king sitting on the throne, deserves us to obey him. But not only to obey him, but to follow his example, right? He stoops down. He sees the poor and he lifts them from the ash heap. Our Lord and Savior Jesus came to earth and modeled that. And now it is on, on us to do that as well. I love that we're in this series, uh, Songs in the Key of Life, because right, the, the artists and poets and musicians say this stuff way better than I can. I, I, can, I mean, I have a grammar of like a third grader, you know? But poets are the ones who help us like take this truth and it seals it in the core of our being. And in a minute, we're going to take communion and then we're going to sing this worship song. But this worship song is a song that God has used to just continually soften my heart, continually to break my heart for the things of God. And it's it's a long song. It's like a seven-minute song. But the last part of it, you know, like all good poets, they just come in and just go. But this is how there's three parts. The first part is talking about the God of creation 
if all of creation sings your praises, so will I. Right? If all the way that God created the world all cries out and prays to Jesus, then shouldn't we do the same? And then to the second verse is all about all the ways that creation obeys God. And if all of creation is going to obey God, so will I. And then this, I'm going to read the, the last verse because it talks about the way that God has saved us individually and what we're supposed to do with that. It says, God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. But as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done, every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I love it. It's like six and a half minutes of this buildup of, okay, God, I will go where you go. I will worship you. I will follow you. And then he says this, I can see your heart eight billion different ways, meaning every individual human being is an expression of God's heart. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, well, so will I. Eight billion people are somebody's daughter, somebody's son. And whatever their family story is, they have the privilege and right to be adopted into the family of God, to be the king of kings, our heavenly father's precious daughter, and precious son. And so as we come to the table, we're reminded that this table is a banquet table in the family of God, that every single person is welcome. It doesn't matter if you're poor, marginalized, oppressed, have leprosy, are an outcast, or if you're a snotty tax collector like me. Jesus still sees you, loves you, invites you to come and sit at the table. And Jesus, who loved all people, who gave his life to all people on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he poured out some wine, said this, this is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this blood, we celebrate the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we long for him to come back soon to make all wrongs right. For this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Even more so, this is the body of Christ broken for others. And this is the blood of Christ shed for others. And as you come to the table to be seen by God and ministered to by God, may the Lord also empower you to give you his eyes, his heart, to love and to see and to care for those around you. Let me pray for us. Would you stand and let's pray together. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, we love you. We worship you. We offer our entire lives more and more to you. 
I thank you that you were long-suffering with us, you were long-suffering with me, that you slowly peel back the onions and invite us into deeper and deeper communion with you. So I pray for me individually, I pray for us corporately, that we would have your heart, have your eyes, that we would follow you wherever you go, that you would meet us in our poorest places and we would be generous with our wealth, whatever all of those things are, and we would do all of that for your glory. And all of God's kids said, amen and amen.